everybody. Welcome to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast, episode 408. This episode is entitled Kushada. Kushada. It's written by Gordon Smith and it's directed by Jim McKay. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I also edited this episode. Uh, Kelly Dixon, co-host of the podcast, is unfortunately yet again not with us. She's super busy. She also she asked me to say to everybody that she's super she to make sure that you knew that she's not ignoring people. She really wants to be a part of the podcast. Uh, you've you've heard her. We're actually going to record an episode that you already heard uh, in about an hour. Uh, but anyway, Kelly says hello to everybody, and uh, she's loving the show this season. And uh, what a season it is. And with me, as always, are co-creators of the show, executive producers, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan. Hello. Yay. Hey there. And Joey Reinish is also here. Hey, Joey. Hello. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, and we've got three special guests today, although two of them are here right now. Uh, we're going to get started anyway. And we will have... Um, uh, Gordon is pointing at Mike Behrman Trout, who uh, is is more he's less of a special guest and more of a mainstay, and he's uh, someone that fair. we depend on. He's that's more fair. like security. Yeah, that's true. yeah, yeah. It's and important yeah, to have I, that. I don't feel more secure when he's here. <laughs> <laughs> he's currently wiping his dirt off his shoulder, so it's nice. Um, well, and you already heard his voice. Uh, it's the writer of this episode and many episodes that you love, Gordon Smith. Hello. Uh, and we also have our incredible music supervisor, who you heard a little bit on last week's podcast, talking about that great teaser. It's Thomas Golubich. Hi there. And we cleared up how we pronounced his name. Yes. And did I say it right? I said it right. You, got, yeah? you, you nailed it. I've been getting. Yeah, I You're just wanted to make sure I was good. Thomas Golubich. Perfectly put. And we will have a very special guest uh, who he he maybe he showed up a little bit late in the season. Well, he's going to show up a little bit late to the podcast, and that's Michael Mando. You know him as Nacho. Michael? That's right. He's not here yet, but he will be. And won't that be exciting <laughs> when he does get here? He's just running a little late. Los Angeles, you never know what's going to go on in the traffic in L.A. Yeah, that's true. Um, and speaking of traffic, what a, uh, what a teaser. There's a lot of driving in this teaser. There is a lot of driving in this teaser. Now, at, at what point do you think, you know what we're going to do? We're going to travel... Uh, across the states in this show that shoots in Albuquerque how on earth I mean I remember reading it I'm sure uh, Robin Sweet the producer thought this when when she read it how are we going to do this how are we going to possibly accomplish something well, without going to Louisiana well, and we, Texas or we could have gone right we were we, I think there was a kind of a, a vague hope when we were early on that we could accomplish most of the driving work in Albuquerque and in and around Albuquerque to sort of approximate the vast expanse of Texas, which is most of the journey. Right. And then maybe send a splinter unit or, or something like that to to Louisiana. That's not what we did, but <laughs> that I think there was a, a vague thought that maybe we could. We were, we were kind of hoping our sister show, uh, Preacher, also on AMC and run by Mr. Sam Catlin, might be able to do... Uh, one shot with Bob, but then when we started looking at it, it wouldn't be just one shot with Bob. It was a very complicated shot that we wanted to do, and we would have needed the bus there, and it was, it just turned into a whole thing. Yeah. So, but, what is it that we're seeing when we? Well, how did how did you shoot the teaser? Uh, we shot the teaser over a course of several days. Um, we shot the interior of the bus on a, as a, as, a, as a splinter unit. Um, with our our normal um, uh, a camera operator Paul was the DP for the day, so we had a 
couple of cameras and a, a very light crew packed on that bus uh, for the interiors. And then we also shot another day for exterior drive-bys, um, just, you know, catching, going out and, and finding cool spots for the bus to drive by. And then the final shot was about a half day's work uh, because we had to set up a a crane and it was a, we knew that we had a, a plate that we were going to do uh, uh, basically had to paint in and change both the everything from the roof line of that building up we put in for visual effects wait a second gordon are you telling me those trees are digital visual effects i am telling you that those trees it are blew are, my mind when yeah. i when i was told this <laughs> i had no idea i just thought you'd found something down by the by, down by the river in albuquerque we yeah. we did that for as much as we could we did that for the interior sequence where uh jimmy is talking to uh janetta and bubba and so forth we found kind of a, a tree line spot down by the river to get some water in the background. There's some water in the background, and it's as green as possible for that drive-by. Even that, we had to augment with visual effects to make it like the sides of the road a little less dry and a little more green, um, fill in some some patches. But um, but that shot, we pretty much we found this spot that it had. There were some trees. It is a, it is sort of along the river path, but. Uh, it, they're not it, the right kind of trees. They're not the they're yeah. not the right kind of trees. Yeah. And we were shooting in April, yeah. so it was nothing had really grown back. They were just starting to turn green, so it still kind of looked dry. And uh, the actual building is, I, I believe, it's some kind of church. That's uh, correct. So we we uh, we we had to sort of turn it into a post office and more like you know and bait shop and general yeah. store and kind of one of those buildings that has has a little bit of everything in it. Uh, it's and, amazing. It's an amazing effect yeah. shot. And it, it goes on for, what, two minutes? It's, it's, like it's incredibly long. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, mo- and it mo- it's moving most of the time, yeah. so yeah. It's ch- the camera is changing axis. It's an incredibly complicated yeah. 3D shot. Yeah. Uh, Alicia, by the way, our post supervisor, who does a lot of the supervising of these visual effects and, and get, getting them to a place to where they can actually get shown to us and to to Peter and Vince and and Diane um before you know so she's dealing with a lot of the problems before that she she it it warmed her. I think. I think she smiled for the first time in weeks uh, when, <laughs> when she got she, to the end of when, it. When she heard that you didn't realize it oh, was. I had didn't no know, idea. Yeah. It, and I'm. I'm. It's that's very good and a testament to the work. This was done by a group uh, out of Atlanta called Crafty Apes, wow. and we uh, Joey and I first worked with them on Lodge Forty Nine, and I guess Melissa had actually experienced them on Halt and Catch Fire. And uh, they just did, they do some really good work. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a really, it's an incredibly impressive shot. It, it, it's, 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 it is a wonderful shot. And also the fact, conceptually, we always knew we were going to hold on that shot for a long time. One of the other thoughts that we had when we started thinking about how to do this sequence was to actually make all the daytime stuff green screen. And this oh, was yeah. this was one of the things that we went through was the idea of actually the stuff in the bus shooting all yeah. the stuff mm-hmm. inside the bus green screen and using a um, there's a company you can actually they they shoot plates uh, meaning meaning backgrounds uh, and they shoot in every possible direction and we were looking at these things and it just didn't feel like our show uh, it's it's um, it's it's a pain to shoot in a moving vehicle uh, but it just. Boy, that it never I love, looks right. I love the way yeah. the the lighting interacts with Bob and the feel of it. it one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, Midnight Run, and That's this a great one. this 
<laughs> this sequence sometimes reminds me of uh, of those those great scenes uh, of, of traveling across America in a bus and midnight run. Mm-hmm. Did anyone get carsick? Uh, I did a little. Did you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Yeah. You know, get vomit or anything like that. But don't they know you're an Emmy nominee? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they, 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 they didn't you know. know. I I, I, no <laughs> one told them. So, uh, so you got to bring it to work. Yeah, no, <laughs> just wear it on a helmet. Yeah. Right, yeah. like on top of like a. Pillow. I'll get a t-shirt <laughs> made. Uh, uh, wear it like a necklace. Like I think that's, that's probably. I'll pro- maybe I'll get it. I'll get it tattooed on someplace. Um, anyway, your forehead. Yeah, my forehead. So you got to make sure everyone sees it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I always. Found, it's interesting you said. I always found. I have a pretty ironclad stomach about getting motion sickness, but the only time I've gotten motion sickness is when I'm watching a monitor in a moving vehicle, oh, right. exactly. and the, the vehicle's moving one way, and the image the image on the screen is moving another way, and there's even a little bit of a delay. And right. boy, that just that does that yeah. Because the monitor you. was the monitor was mounted, uh, the camera was facing backwards into the bus. And the monitor was mounted on the, basically on the windshield. It was fine. I'd also, I also I knew it was going to be that kind of thing, so I took a bunch of Dramamine that beforehand. Was so. Very I, smart. So, I watched I, these guys shooting from the distance. I was directing episode nine. I won't say w- what we were doing because that's for next week's podcast. But uh, I remember watching you guys. I could see you in the distance about a half mile, or maybe a mile uh, away, driving back and forth on the same road. It was the damnedest thing. <laughs> it's two other things I want to mention about this sequence. Uh, one is the casting. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And I think this is, uh, this is Jim McKay making his return engagement That's for right. us. This is the first time we've had him back. Uh, we've been lucky enough to get him back to Albuquerque since uh, season, season one. one of Breaking Bad, yeah. and and he is. I just thought he just did a wonderful job he on this episode. It. It's it's visual, but the thing that that impresses it's visual. Every scene is laid out, uh, laid out beautifully. But the thing that impressed me the most um, was the way that Jim is able to ground everything in reality. And, and that goes yeah. for, the, for the casting of all these little, you have all these, some of them speaking parts, some of them not, and the folks are just great. You yeah. love them immediately. Yeah. 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 Shout out to you love them. Shout out to Albuquerque Casting. Most of those are, are, are locals that, uh, that Kira brought in for us. So. The lovely Kira Arai. The lovely Kira Arai. Arai. Lovely Arai. 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 Yeah. What a great so, job she so did. She did a great job finding a lot of interesting faces and people that, uh, you know, you're not going to see on a lot of TV yeah, shows. That's so. true. A great re- and they did a great job. They did a great job. Very natural. Very all of them. Let's hope in the future you will. This might be the beginning. Yeah. For them. No. I mean, yeah. they're they're very talented people. So. Have you ever been to Cushada, Louisiana? I have never been to Cushada, Louisiana. There is a real. Cushada. There is a real place. Yeah. Yes, it's in sort of central uh, Louisiana, um, off on. It is kind of on the on the river. I think it's slightly larger than we've depicted it, but you know, we're we're trying to take some liberties and make it look a little. Maybe this is the outskirts of Cushada uh, yeah. kind yeah. of thing. So, uh, so we weren't trying to cast aspersions to the lovely people there so much as yeah. just you know represent a kind of town that we wanted to yeah. see. Well, hopefully, the folks in Cushada like this. Hopefully. hopefully, someone listening from Cushada. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't that be great? And if you are, reach out. The the other thing I have to say, in addition to the casting, though, is <clears throat> this scene was always great. Uh, the, the from the first time I saw it, I, I loved it, but then. We heard it with this Les McCann track, which yes. is Burning Coal, uh, Les McCann. And and uh, I, I am a big Les McCann fan. Not that I know anything about any kind of music, but I, I've been listening recently to another 
coincidentally another Les McCann track compared to what which is just a, a, a fantastic Incredible he's also song. he also is a vocalist too which he, he's not a, on this particular track burning call well, you can hear him shouting quite he, a bit, is, that, is that him i wonder it's who the that was the shouting the shouting and the percussion and everything it just pulls the, the whole sequence together it's which just wonderful yeah. yeah how'd you find that uh, you know, I'm also a huge fan of Les McCann, and, and, and one of the fun things about our show in general is figuring out the contours of the, you know, the music for our show. And what I love so much about Les McCann's work is that it's jazz, but it's really soulful, and it has a real sense of excitement in the moment, which is kind of what Jimmy is in many ways. Jimmy is an improviser, and one of the great things about him as a character is the sense of something is always happening in that moment. You never quite know where it's going to go. And I feel like his music has that element to it, that, you know, little choices of the players, little choices of even the composition, you get a sense it's always a little bit improvised. And that's yeah. part of what's so exciting about his work. That's cool. That's, that's a great day. It's always it's always a pleasure seeing what you're going to find for for this show and for Breaking Bad before it. It's always a pleasure seeing what wonderful uh, tracks you're going to. Well, nobody could find ask for us. better canvases, so you know I just get a chance to do a little bit of painting. It's big great. season for you. But it's a, that, oh uh, my God. Two teasers in a row with uh, major musical mm-hmm. driven scenes. Oh, we've had so much fun. I, I mean, what's so interesting is, and you mentioned Breaking Bad, is like how different the approach is to the two shows, and obviously there there there's a kinship, obviously with many of the same team members. But what we're doing is so different in these two shows and these long, beautiful passages and stretches where, I mean, I don't think we ever had a, a, a montage that was more than three minutes in Breaking Bad in the entire run of the series. And this one, it's like almost par for the course. We had five minutes in one. We've got, I think, four minutes on this one. And we're using entire songs beginning to end. I mean, we're really painting the entire sequences with it. So I think for musicians and for artists, hearing their work placed on this extraordinary canvas and having so much of it is really special and unique. It's such a gift. Which I mean, I, I think also, you know, to, to, to your credit too, like, my God, that, that sequence, all of those sequences, <clears throat> They, they seem deceptively simple sometimes, like, oh, well, you just need to find the right mood, right? But this, this piece in particular, it's both just, it's traveling music, but it needs to have a build and a movement, because mm-hmm. otherwise it'll kind of bring down what's moving right. in, the, in the sequence. So I think finding something like this, it's, it's, it's a simple piece, but like, it needs to do a lot to you kind can't. of not fight against what the, the montage is going to do in the forward motion of the montage itself. Mm-hmm. So it can't have a bunch of vocals that are yeah. inter- that are either commenting or interfering with what's going on uh, or interfering with the sporadic dialogue that happens. I mean, it, it is it's a it's a tough I mean, and we went back and forth on a, on a, a bunch of different, we, we had tried several different um, uh, tracks in here. And uh, some, you know, th- some were very cool. Some worked well, but this, once we got this in there, it's just like this. This is the one. It's sort of sort of like we talked about on last week's podcast on that little snippet we did, Thomas, about about seven, where that song, you know, you you could hear the original, uh, which we did, the original Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, but. Once you have that Lola Marsh version in there, it just it feels effortless. It feels like oh, this is how it was supposed to be all the time, and it, you know. It, it, but so much, so much goes into each of those moments, and so many decisions have to get made uh, to get to something that feels organic. It's, uh, it's, and, it's really and, cool. And I know you're not going to bring this up, Chris, but you cut this episode. Uh, I sure did. And uh, you just. 
Joe. Uh, I didn't. It, I didn't do it alone. You, t- you and Joey cut this episode. That is correct. Well, who Joey. cut the teaser? I cut the teaser. Great, but, uh, great job. Jo- Joey. Uh, Joey and I. This is Joey's first credit on Better first, Call Saul. First oh, credit. Joey. Is your, this is your first editing credit. First editing credit. Oh man! Yeah. Wow. It is. It is all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should re- retire right now. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I congratulations, remember, great uh, job. Joey did a Thank great you. job. Great job, both of you. I remember yeah. back in the day, Kelly saying pretty much the same thing to you, Chris. You know, she said, <laughs> there were some scenes that, that is, and she said you're not going to c- coverage like this in any other shows. Uh, she's right. She, I, I can, I can definitely tell you, she's right. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing like these shows. Well, that also, everyone's, everyone's kind of honing in on something. That's the fun part. It's like, I'm sure for the actors, it's the same thing. It's like, what interpretation, what are the, what, how many options am I giving them that make sense? And what's within the parameters of the character and, and you know, the, the costume design? Like, how far can I go with this? Like, how much am I commenting? How much am I not commenting? And so much of, of I think, you know, the what makes this show work is that everybody sorry. is kind of this following about one. To fall off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> just, Microphone stands about our, to fall over. Our overhead. studio, our studio is falling apart. <laughs> that was rather exciting. I was kind of leaning so, in I'm on. So, so, so sorry to interrupt you. It was I a subtle way of saying like you should probably stop talking now. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Not at all. I, you were like the host catching the wine glasses about to go over the side of the table. That was nuts. Um, but yeah, the idea is that we're all kind of trying to figure out how to reach a, a collective vision, you know, based upon the leadership of these extraordinary men. And I think in many ways, everybody gets a chance to kind of have a bunch of bad ideas at some point and then slowly whittle away the bad ideas to get to the good ideas. And then I'm always excited when I find out what's the one that really clicked because I know there's other ideas I think, oh, this could be it, but something that I'm missing that I'm not aware of, that I don't, I'm not privy to is part of that decision making. So when we get to that final result, I just know, all right, I have to make sure that I'm open enough, but not too open that it feels like it's not making sense and that the ideas are all exciting and hopefully compelling in different ways. Ladies and gentlemen, the yeah. most articulate man in show business. <laughs> Absolutely, Thomas Goliath. Bitch. And speaking job. speaking of compelling in different ways, uh, we have we have now been joined by Michael Mando. <laughs> hey, good hey. morning, everybody. Hey. I'm so sorry that I'm late. Uh, I uh, I have the um, I have no excuse. I'm just late. <laughs> 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 and uh, you can call me whatever you want for the rest of the podcast. We are honest. Yeah, no, yeah. You'll have to tune <laughs> in to the first part. I'm just kidding. We're just <laughs> delighted you're here, Michael. Yeah, good to and, see you. Man. Yeah. Thank and, you. And you're looking good. You you look you look like you've recovered from all of the wounds from the season. All uh, of the yeah. <laughs> at least at least scars. physically, mentally, I still. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm late, actually. <laughs> it's uh, I mean it's interesting. I mean, the last time we saw you, things were looking really bleak for Nacho. Yeah. And and then there were a couple of episodes where we were left to wonder, where a lot of time passed, story time, in in, uh, in episode seven. We, we really jumped ahead at nine months, ten months? Ten months. Ten yeah. Months. Ten months. Yeah. And, and so here we are, and uh, we come out of that teaser, and there he is. Nacho. Yeah, there he is. I wonder where he went. Was he on vacation or something? He was getting his two hot uh, (laughs) meth-addled girlfriends. Yeah, and a cool car. And and a new place to live. He went to Hawaii for a little bit and then... I mean, he definitely he's 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 recovered. We we see that uh, his his body has is is healing from the uh, incredible (laughs) incredible wounds that he suffered. Um, But and what we see we pick up what appears to be a very different Nacho. 
I, I think so, yeah. I think, um, I, um, you know, when something like that so traumatic happens, I think you can react in many different ways. One of the ways that you can react is you can implode on yourself and you sort of cave in and you can't go through with life because you're so traumatized. I think the opposite of that would be it's like when a bone breaks and it heals stronger. I believe, I mean, you, you, Peter and Vince are here. I'd rather hear what you guys think. <laughs> but I, I believe his bone heals stronger. I think his ability to, his determination and his will, I think, strengthen. And I, and I mean, am I right so far? I mean, I, I've got the two guys who created this looking at me right now. <laughs> That sounds. I like everything. Yeah, I like. I'm fascinated yeah. by everything you're saying. Yeah. It's not a, not the way I thought of it, but I. I it's I, not. It's no, absolutely yeah. legitimate. No. It what what did you, sense. What did you think? I, I, well, I wasn't thinking about bones, uh, <laughs> Gordon, but Gordon. It's Gordon can also address this. It's it's a. Uh, I, I mean, I I was fascinated by, the idea of not seeing Nacho for a little bit and then seeing where he had how he had settled in to this new life where he's pulled in so many directions. You know, he's, he's working for the, he is the Salamanca's guy in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. So he's in the Tuco seat. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's also has this other thing going on, which is that he's, he's uh, also secretly working for Gus Fring. Mm -hmm. And he is, it's, it's interesting because I always pictured, I don't know how you, saw it, Michael. I always pictured that this lifestyle that he, he's adopted here is sort of what he probably would have wanted a long time ago when he was when he was mm -hmm. starting out when he was starting out as a drug dealer and, 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 and being friends with Tuco and, and thinking, you know, someday uh, it's gonna be me in the pilot seat. Mm -hmm. And now here he is. He's got all the goodies but uh, there's there's a lot of catches in you know, this contract. Th that's really interesting. I think when 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 I think of Nacho, it's funny. I, I don't I don't know if I completely thought about it exactly the way you have. I used to think about it as he. I think the reason the reason why he went into this business is something that's always been a, an exclamation mark for me, because morally I feel that he's ashamed to be doing this. Huh. When it comes to, because I, I can't think of Nacho without thinking of his father. I feel like the, these two kind of come together in, in some kind of way, at least psychologically. Right. In order to understand Nacho, I need to understand his father. And, and why would this guy who comes from a, a father who, who clearly loves him and who clearly is moral, you know, probably one of the most moral people in the whole Breaking Bad universe yeah. is, is yeah. Juan Carlos Cantu's character, who's incredibly played, by the way. Shout out to Juan Carlos. He called me this morning or last night. Uh -huh. I can't remember. I didn't pick up, but I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> Typical father-son. Yes. Actually, we've got him on the line here, Juan Carlos. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to call you back, Juan Carlos. But um, we got to get him on the podcast. Yes, he, he's amazing. So yeah. my, my question is, his upbringing is obviously different than what he does, and he's clearly ashamed, even at an older age. So it's still you know, freshness of conscience. So my question is, I've always felt that he had no actually uh, interest in in uh, taking Tuco's position. I've always felt he wanted to make money. Mm -hmm. And my, my question has always been, why does he feel the need to make money if his dad has a shop? Is it because his dad's shop is not successful? Is it because his dad owes money? Is it because... That to me has always been a puzzle. Like, why did he get into this knowing that he's ashamed, knowing he has to hide it from his father? 
And I think in a situation like that, if you have to hide it from your father, then you can't be thinking you're going to do this forever because, you know, it, you know it's, it felt like a, I don't know why he got into it. Now, when we fast forward into, I'd, I'd like to think, I have my theory on it, but I won't, I won't pitch it because I know, I know how it works with Vince and Peter. If you tell them something, they'll do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> but I can tell you that I think, this I think is true, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. In the future, when you fast forward, I have a feeling the materialistic, is, the materialistic stuff is sort of like a front because his real heart, you know, is when Gordon and I had this great talk that his safe represents his heart. And when you dig deep into your, his heart, he literally, you know, shuts the door, locks the door on the outside world, huh. which is the car, the, 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 the girls, the, the, all that crap stuff that he has absolutely no real interest in. And he's focused on the thing that really matters, which is his father and the, um, a life in Canada, you know. And that, in uh, a life in Canada, I, I believe, is a life away from crime completely. You know, you go to British Columbia, you know, you're there with the, you're there with Mike Ehrmantraut, the bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I believe it's Mike Bearmantraut. Mike, Mike yeah. Bearmantraut, yeah, and that's it. That's pretty dangerous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still going to need his gun. Yes. As a Canadian, I think you can speak to what Canada represents. For that's true. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you go up in the mountains, and it's, it's just, it feels to me, you know, um, and again, I hate saying this because I know you guys won't write it if I do. <laughs> well, then tell, <laughs> us, tell us the opposite of what you want. Yeah, yeah. And then that's what, what we'll do. But, but I just Child feel, psychology. I just feel like if a guy who wants to get out and go to a place like British Columbia with his dad is a guy who has no more, who's turned off on the whole idea of the cartel world, who has, I, I believe from the very beginning of when we met him, has no interest for power. He's not power hungry. He's not ego driven, and uh, and he loves the metric system. He loves the metric. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. closer like, to where he it likes is. Moose. The metric I actually system. pitched that he had a book at, about the metric system in his room, and Gordon said, <laughs> 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 "The origins of the metric system." Right. Right. Well, you yeah. see, there's a meter stick, and it's kept in. No. Oh, meter, <laughs> meter sticks. Thomas there's likes a lump these. I, of, what is it? I, I see. I think it makes it makes sense that what you're saying because you know you can. I think we've all been maybe in a position where maybe you fall in with some people who are doing things that maybe you shouldn't be doing or wouldn't think you wanted to be doing. But the trappings of that lifestyle can be seductive, and I think yeah. that maybe he got in over his head, and now he's way in over his head. But it seems like you're saying with the safe, he's seems to have an exit strategy yeah yeah and 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 the, i think the question is is why why did he for me i mean anyway the thing that's always driven me from the very beginning is why did he do why did he get into this cartel world because from his upbringing it's a shameful thing you know when yeah. he says hector salam i'm work for hector salamanca it's like saying um i'm the most appalling person in the community you know, right. and you can see it on his father's face when he, you know, that scene that Gordon wrote as well with the glass of milk. You could see it that it's like, man, did I let you down? And the question is, why did he need that money? Why did he get into it to get that money? Yeah. And something that's always fascinated me about Nacho, I think his superpower is that he's not driven by his ego, which every other character he seems to encounter is. <laughs> you know, he's had a fallout with Jimmy. He's had a fallout with Mike. He's had a fallout with uh, with Hector. 
Tuco, who all, I think the conversation with all these characters has always been slanted to one side. It's never been like an honest conversation, like what are your needs, what are my needs, how do we come to terms? It's usually always been about here's what I'm gonna do and you know, you've gotta figure out a way to adjust to what I'm gonna do. And what I found really interesting was Gus Fring. That's something that I, I wanted to bring up. I, I didn't, I, from Nacho's point of view, I don't feel Gus's actions towards Nacho were um, within the line of what was um, necessary. To me, that was really shocking, the, the way Gus handled Nacho. Why do you think feel like it was not necessary? Because from be Gus's point from of Gus's view. From Gus's point of view, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely from Gus's point of view, because I, I felt many, many reasons. First of all, Gus is the smartest guy that I know. You know, there's nobody smarter than that. So Gus knows that I don't know that Gus has this sadistic thing going with Hector where he needs to see him suffer. So I didn't betray Gus. I didn't go behind his back mm -hmm. to hurt him, you know, and, and, and he knows that. Gus knows that. The, the second thing is I think Gus understands that um, Hector is a, is a horrible person who's killed people that he shouldn't kill. And of all people, Gus is the one guy who really understands how much that hurts. So you're thinking you're almost kindred, uh, not you, uh, but, uh, but uh, Nacho's almost a kindred spirit with Gus. Kind of. What do you have, define from, kindred? From Gus's kindred, perspective, from, maybe. Well, from a kindred as in you both have, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. To, so yes, and yeah. to some degree, you know, yeah. and to, to some degree, I, I agree. I, I think so, too. And I think, I think for me, you know, I, I keep thinking about that. Actually, I thought about that on the way here, and I was thinking, I said, what am I going to talk about? What's the most interesting thing I can talk about? And, and that, to me, is the most interesting thing is we talk about where Nacho is psychologically mm -hmm. and how does that affect him when you think, you'd think that Gus would at least start with a conversation, you know, mm -hmm. saying, listen, I know you're a smart guy, I know what you did, and here's what I'm going to need from you, mm -hmm. as opposed to I'm going to torture you for something that you did to save somebody, which is the very thing that I've based this whole empire on. Mm -hmm. You know, Gus is after... Say, he's pretty much shaving the memory of his. I, I think you're friend. making a good. I think we're gonna have to cut that scene with the the bag uh, in episode two. No, it's great. But is it too late for that? Did we get Diane on that? No, no. The reason is it too late? The reason I bring it up is because psychologically, when we ask where is Nacho at, I think that's for me. It's the cornerstone of what he's thinking. Is that is that no one gives a shit about what's right. No one, everyone's pretending to be ethical and moral, and everyone seems to have, you know, the, the, uh, the code of the underground, but none of these characters are respectful to it. They're all doing what they want. They, they're all fighting for themselves. Your Gus definitely doesn't care about Nacho, except yeah, for how he can right. use him, but I didn't feel like he was torturing Nacho so much as he was very pragmatically and cold-bloodedly using him to further his, Gus's, interests. Not really torturing him, per se, not not taking it out on him out of anger, yeah. but just treating him like he's some insect to be used yeah, as I agree. an I, animal. He, I, I yeah. think he just doesn't care, because I think the, the move to, to kill Arturo is to ensure that that Nacho is in the power position. Stays in line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, but, 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 but two but, things simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. It's, 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 it's two things simultaneously. It's now I, I, have, I have moved you up in the hierarchy and you're mine. He's and installing that, that his own he leader. He installs yeah. his that, own that person. Part, that so far I can understand, but then there's the whole episode three. 
That I feel getting like getting shot in the shoulder. Okay, I get it. Then he, getting shot in the stomach. To, I get it. Then sure. getting left alone in the desert for I, ten I, hours. If, you, if that's if you what were, the torture if there was is to me. <laughs> if the scene had worked out where uh, uh, Arturo was alone in the desert, right? Yeah. And Nacho walks out unscathed. Oh boy, it's really such a shame that Arturo was murdered and burned alive in the desert. Glad I wasn't there. Suddenly, you're no longer useful to him. Right, because you are you are a suspect. This if you the, walk out, yeah. if these two guys, no, or if you I walk get, out I get on stage, I get, I get so the getting he has shot to kind of and the staging it. Yeah, I, I get, to sort I get of all put that. you on above suspicion. But I think psychologically, I think, and, and I'm not really focused on why Gus did it. I, I'm sort of more saying it from Nacho's point of view. Is that sure. is no, that, that I realize sense. that okay, you know, this guy who who I think is rational and and I can have a conversation with, I can't. I can't like oh, this guy's not yeah, that's right. he's not interested yeah. in logic. He's not interested in talking this out. Well, you're also in the middle of the chess game and he's the one playing the chess game. Right. That's and, well yes. Put. Yeah. And the problem that your your character has in this is that you are in many ways a lot like Domingo. Like if you think about Domingo's process mm -hmm. and how we we introduce him as sort of this sweet innocent trying to sort of hustle a bit of extra money mm -hmm. and then cruelty comes into play and then you know taking on that cruelty it's like the Salamanca family is like this poison that everybody slowly gets poisoned by and Gus is the only one who's able to move around it but you're just one pawn in this larger game well th this is also uh, Nacho seems to me he's he's motivated very differently from like Hector and even Gus these guys are all motivated by revenge and wounds and injury it's like the things the things you were just saying michael mm -hmm. they're they're uh, and nacho nacho is more pragmatic he's trying to survive he, he and, and i think when we see him open that safe and seeing those two id cards there's uh he's motivated away by love yeah. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. he's 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 the most he's the most human and vulnerable of of them and and uh and when you see episode three, I know you haven't even seen that yet. No. Uh, as we record this, I uh, haven't seen season one. As we, as, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. As we record this, uh, we haven't aired episode three yet. Um, uh, you just, I, I, when I watch it, I become so invested in Nacho. I'm so worried about him. Yeah. He is, he is. Uh, I don't, not that he's a passive victim, but he is a a regu uh, an ordinary human being with with who can be hurt. Yeah. And and he's in he's caught up in these forces that are going to be very difficult to extract himself Absolutely. from. Yeah. And, and I, I have, like, I'm really yeah. worried. I'm really worried about him because I actually I I understand in a weird way he's the most human scale of these guys. These, yeah. these other these other guys are uh, they're. I mean, they're just, they're kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he, kinda. he feels a lot like Jesse to me in that way. Yeah. From, from Breaking Bad. Like he's not, he, he had these ideas about why he did this, what money he needed, mm -hmm. but the, the, it, it got away from him. And now he's yeah. kind of, he's the one going, uh, he is a human sized spectator on this. Like, what mm -hmm. is wrong with these yeah, people? Yeah, I think, so. and I think, and that I think is the, the, the most interesting thing is, is what I loved about episode eight is he doesn't lose that quality of his you know he he's still about trying to save his father despite the fact that we know he's hardened in some ways oh well there's that scene. so there's, there's two a, extremes that, you know and there's that great scene and you're so terrific gordon wrote the hell that jim directed the hell out of it that great scene where nacho uh nacho 
you know, puts the arm on that guy, the, earring, the guy with right. the earring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we come back. We haven't seen Nacho in a little while. We haven't seen him in ten months. Mm-hmm. And we come back, and he is, he is. Yeah, it seems like wow. Is he hardened? Is he is he just another one? Is he yeah. turned into one of these guys? Yeah. yeah. And I think it it's it's not until you open the safe that you find out. Or actually, to me. When I watch it, it's it's another moment before because he tosses the uh, he tosses the the packets to the two young women he's living with, right. and then he goes to his own room. He walks away, goes to his own room, and then there's this moment where you put down your gun and you hunch over, mm-hmm. and there's this release of breath, mm-hmm. and and that to me that that is the moment where I, oh wait a minute he, he beans. Is, this guy is, is playing thinking? a role this yeah, guy is yeah, playing yeah. a role and he hates it and he hates yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, I and agree shout out to our our blingy Kalen oh, Jones oh, oh yeah Kalen, you were great he's, he's so just had to sort of walk in and be effortless and like he's funny and um, imposing yeah. but like yeah, yeah he's funny and, and he, he, he did a great job he sells something that is really important which since we haven't it's been a while and we're curious like what's going on with Nacho he when he walks up to Nacho the look on you, and, oh. and you you kind of just motion like come a little closer. The look on his face is like, oh fuck, this guy. Everybody's afraid of this yeah. guy, yeah, and, this it, it, and the look sells. And the, combined with the way that you do it, the casual manner you do it, and his look, it's like, <laughs> oh, people know. Don't fuck with Nacho. Yeah, what yeah. happened to Nacho in the last year? Yeah. How is he the scary guy now? And then he is the scary guy, and he rips his earring out, and yeah. he's, he's ruthless. Yeah. But and, like you said, he's playing the role. He yeah. didn't kill this guy. No. He didn't mortally wound. He didn't give, shoot this guy a million times in the desert and leave him. You know, and I think, and I think, and I think he's teaching him something too. Mm-hmm. I think I, I don't know how we, I don't know what take we use. I don't know how it played out. But to me, that that was also a moment where. Nacho, and this is something, I mean, look, this, I can talk about this forever. I'm Obviously, as an actor, you're so invested. That's why we're here. In your character, and, and I, you know, you, 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 you defend your character like a lawyer. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, no, no, he has a right to do this, and he should do that. And, because that's what drives you, right? That's what you spend time with. But to me, I think, I don't like to see him turn into Hector. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't think that, I think... The fight that he has in his heart is almost like, you know, I can we swear on this? Of course. So I think it's we like it's like fuck these it. guys. These yeah. guys are assholes. All these guys who hold power are real assholes. And they've never handled it well in relation to me. They always look down on people. They think they're morally superior. And I believe in that particular moment, I think he his desire is to teach Blingy Blingy a lesson. I think more Not so much to hurt him, but to say, listen. This is how it works. Right. Learn your lesson. You'll make money with me. You don't learn your lesson. You're going to get fucked. Mm-hmm. And you better be burnt. It's better for you to be burned by me than by one of these guys. But even more, That's he's actually true. teaching Domingo because he exactly. knows that if Domingo exactly. doesn't, yeah. if Crazy Eight doesn't keep these guys in line, he has to do this. Exactly. Yeah. So by setting that up, he creates a pad and a little bit of protection. Yeah. And so in a way, making that choice is sort of a message to both. Blingy's gonna come and Blingy's gonna go, but he knows that Domingo will be the guy that's gonna basically. Is that a saying on the, the street? Line. There you go. Blingy's gonna come. Blingy's, Blingy's gonna, gonna, gonna go. go. Everybody knows yeah. it. Everybody's talking about it. I agree. <laughs> the act that follows, literally every scene in this act has music in it, has a song, yes. has source, as it's, it's two different types of music that we deal with score and source music. Oh my God. Score being the original compositions that 
that uh, Dave Porter does, and then source music being the the stuff that's actually playing in the world, the diegetic music. Oh, wow, that was a uh, big word. You, uh, I, uh, I, you're I, a college I have to graduate. Google it. Can I we graduated pause? from college. I wouldn't even know how to spell that to Google it. <laughs> I, I probably don't either. Um, is it similar a, to diabetic? It is, it's, yeah. It's diabetic when, music? It, but it's starved of sugar, so. Um, but it's, oh, no, it's, and there's a lot of sugar in this. I mean, that's a lot of music. How is, as, as a music supervisor, and we've, We've talked either in the future or in the past a little bit about this. I can't remember. Can't keep anything straight anymore. Um, the the challenge of you have a budget and you have to, you know, be mindful of that. But when you've got song after song after song, um, can you talk a little bit about the difficulties of providing music in all these places when you don't have an unlimited amount of money to spend because music can be very expensive to license, especially if it's something that you recognize, you can guarantee it, it costs a, a, a good amount of money to license. I mean, we, we you know, we're, this is a constant struggle, you know, for us uh, on the show. And I think, you know, one example is like the cell phone store. You know, there was a, a really exciting oh. choice that, you know, Peter and, and, and depending on which editor, but, you know, used in trying to allow time lapse by using these Muzak shifts, which is brilliant and fantastic. And as soon as like, you know. There's a good reason people don't do that. Yeah, well, let's see. We (laughs) learned a valuable lesson. Yes. And this episode is a good example because we have so many, we have strip clubs. And we, these are all environments that you know there's going to be music. Like we always have music in the El Michoacan, the, the restaurant. Uh, we have a little bit of music when uh, we're arriving in, you know, in, in Louisiana and we're at the truck stop. And it's a really efficient bit of storytelling. But when that truck pulls up and you just know, and it feels real. It feels like something they'd be playing in a truck that's going to stop at the bait shop and pick up some stuff before it goes out. That every bit here costs. And so we knew there'd be music playing, you know, while the girls are watching television. You know, we knew that uh, when Mike was going to be leaving with Verna to go get a drink, that there'd be music in the bar. And every single one of these things is differentiated. And then when Mike goes to, like, get, you know, Kai out of trouble, basically there has to be something booming out of that club. So it's just, it's relentless, this episode. And then we also have the headphone cue uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Kim, which was, Another interesting challenge, you're trying to figure out, like, how do we establish what Kim listens to? And at that point, we had no money left, so we had such limited <laughs> options. And we really lucked out, and we were able to get a Stereo Lab song that's for an amazing. extremely reasonable price, which was, and I give them such respect and kindness. I love that song, too. That's, it, that's yeah, really it, nice. feels it feels so, so right, right to her, exactly. you know? And that was, and, you know, Gordon is a big driver of this, too, because, you know, it's his episode, and he... He, in many ways, I think, thinks about music as much as anyone in the show does. And it's one of those things where I know whenever he has different ideas, like I really want to pursue them because I know he's really thought them through and he knows the characters really well. And sure enough, like the entire email that I went through, I made phone calls and everyone just said, absolutely not. There's no way we're going to clear that for less than 15,000. And it was like not an option anywhere. So we ended up really having limited options. And luckily with the Stereolab queue, it feels like something that you would listen to, you know. And it's 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 and this is the the challenge that we always have is like how do we and I'm sure every department has this how do you put it all up on the screen how do you convince people who are used to getting paid a lot of money on a show that they've heard of that they want to be a part of that somehow you don't have money and and that's sort of like in all season long it's been that conversation you, you know the the the, this, the one thing I'd say though is that uh, sometimes not having all the money to do everything you can think of improves things. In Absolutely. other words, I think we started out when we started, what is what is Kim listening to? We made a list and it was 
very conventional. You know, it was it was it was a list really. Oh, what what does Kim listen to? And we we it was it was stuff that you would really hear on the radio a lot. And and, and I was never quite. I'm not the most musically uh, astute person in the world. I was never quite happy with it. I didn't know quite what to do with it because I felt like well, she has to listen to something that's that she would have heard and she's not going to she doesn't seem like the person who's who's searching out for indie bands uh, indie bands and uh, but on the other hand it didn't feel right to to do something that was super just common and that we've we've all that we've all heard a million times so it, it, i think this is a case where actually having to dig a little deeper uh, helps us it and i think that it happens answer. it happens a lot actually where you know it's it's uh, it, it, sometimes and i i always think back this is a, a going way back in time to, to Breaking Bad, where we had a scene where we were going to have a junkyard dog, yeah. which was which was really fun. Uh, Jesse was going to have to get into a, get into a junkyard, and he was going to confront a junkyard dog, and it just turned out to be too expensive to have a, a trained dog. Twenty five thousand dollar junkyard dog, <laughs> and 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 so I don't remember who who came. Was up it the with dog's it. demands that were too expensive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's, the dog had to bring his trainer. <laughs> his entourage. His entourage. The dog's entourage. He needed the biggest sure. trailer. And it, Demanded and, a kibble separate yeah. from the bits. And <laughs> instead, instead I, and I don't even remember whose episode it was. It was uh, Sam Catlin. Sam Catlin's mm-hmm. episode. And, and instead, uh, we had that... that Awful, horrible scene with a porta potty where he falls, <laughs> which is the, much more memorable than getting yes, bit totally. in the ass by a junkyard dog, Absolutely. which we've all seen mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's it's a balancing act because we want to use the limitations to make us more creative. Yeah. It's, have you guys ever, when you come to um, music, right? You, so have you ever thought of, and I don't know if this is helping the music industry or not, so I'm careful here, but have you ever thought of using that money to record an original song? We just talked about that. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah. sorry. That's why. That's, yeah. what, that's what I get seven. from being that's late. It. Well, actually, actually uh, that was on a different podcast. You, yeah, you, previous yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. I think the the tricky thing is obviously with a recorded piece of music, we know what we're getting, and everybody can green light it and say we're good. If you're doing a recording, you kind of hope that it's going to come together the way that it wants, yeah. and you don't want to be in a situation where you're like. Well, we've spent the money to build it, and now we don't love yeah, it. Yeah. And if only we'd use that money to license that thing that we thought was okay but not amazing. There's also an emotional, I think, uh, a, a great song that is known comes with an emotional. Um, it's like you know, it's like when you see Clint Eastwood on the screen for the first time. You know, mm-hmm. okay, this is the guy who's done these ten movies, and I have an emotional attachment to mm-hmm. him. I think a great song that is popular is like that too. Well, and you the moment you hear it, it comes with emotions that you're familiar with. That's true. And, and in some ways, it's, it it always feels like freeloading to me. Uh, you know, if if we're using a song that already has associations, and we're just evoking, we're we're pulling in associations that kind of come prefabricated with that song. I, I, I don't want to be judgmental, but it feels sometimes it it could feel like cheating a little bit to mm-hmm. me, uh, because you're you're kind of drifting off of some something other associations. Yeah. I think we, I feel, we avoid that yeah. here as, yeah. as often as we can we too. Do. And I'd yeah. say back to your point earlier, Peter, that you know one of the things that was great about Breaking Bad in our early days was that 
as much as I complained at the time, <laughs> the truth is that those limitations gave us a much more interesting palette. And I think that mm -hmm. we use music oh, yeah. very minimally because of it, because we were not filling it in everywhere because we couldn't afford to. And Dave, our composer, is very minimal and is always like, I mean, he's the most restrained composer I've ever met. And wow. I'm always in awe of how often he knows how to get it just right with just as little screen time as possible. And that sense of reserve, you know, we try to do the same thing, obviously, with, with Source. And I think in this episode, we didn't really do a lot of reserve because every scene needed something. But none of it feels showy. It always feels like it's adding to the story and it's contributing to the storytelling. And so I think we, we use music, and I think it feels like it, it deepens the story. At least we certainly try to. And, and I think some of that is really because of the limitations we have on budget. So, you know, it's always nice to have a little bit more breathing space. But I think we, we, we put all of it on the screen as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I just, I, I'm totally changing the subject because I, I can just feel the clock running out on this podcast. Uh, and, and so I just want, I just think we would be amiss if we didn't mention the Cushada scam. The yeah. scam. Yeah. The yeah. scam. Yeah. The, the, the scam. The so scam. Getting to see Bob play the uh, good reverend doctor. Yes. Uh, well, hello we... there. <laughs> I, I, as I got a... crawdads in my pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was an enormous fan of Mr. Show. And uh, so it's always exciting to, to watch his transformation into it some this you know extraordinary dramatic actor but man getting to watch him do things that are that remind me of the comedy capability that he has is yeah. it was so it was electric just in, in watching the dailies even Bob, exciting. Bob ha has a character he did on Mr. Show, uh, Senator Hal Tankerbell. Hal Tankerbell. Hal Tankerbell <laughs> was one of my all-time favorites and uh, when we were Pitching this scene in the writer's room, I kept thinking, oh, if only, I think I said it a lot, if only Bob brings a little bit of Hal Tankerbell to this, I'll <laughs> yeah. be so happy. And when we watched the, uh, when we watched, uh, watched the cuts, I, I was just over the moon because I find him so fun. He keeps, he's still Jimmy McGill doing it, which yes. I think is the trick. He's still Jimmy McGill, but he is, he is so freaking fun. You know who else is great? Uh, Ju Julie Pearl. Yeah. Uh, who plays yes. who plays the uh, the ADA? Mm -hmm. She is wonderful. ADA Erickson. ADA mm -hmm. Erickson. She is wonderful uh, because the straight man is just as important. Yeah. In, in yeah. these scenes, hundred percent. And yeah. she is so great. Now, Gordon, I believe that there was. Can we talk about that? There was I a little. I don't know. Can we? I think we should. And Melissa there, can tell us. There was there was a bump. There was a bump in the road. There was a bump in the road. Um, there was a small snafu uh, in the production office. And a lot of times our, our actors who are not regulars don't, they don't get the whole script. They get their scenes. It's a security it's measure. It's a security measure so that, it, you know, we just, it, it's not like we think they're gonna do something with it. We just, we just don't, don't tend to do it. So we give them their sides. But because of the way the scene was slugged, which is, you know, the, the headings of the scenes, uh, it's, it's a cross-cutting scene. Um, and they mistook, mistakenly did not give her a large chunk, about half of the scene with Tom, uh, with uh, with Jimmy. Uh, she didn't she didn't get those sides, so she came in and she's like, I don't I don't know why you're talking about this phone call is not a 
Why is everyone asking me if I want to rehearse the phone call? And then what we, phone call? What phone oh call? That's yeah. Yeah. And then we got in. And we're like, yes. you no, know, it's know your we're going all the way through Actors to the end. Nightmare. Not, not yeah, only really not is. know your lines, not know you have lines. Yeah, I, but that's a dream. That that's a nightmare. That yeah. I, I've yeah. had exactly. it. I, every actor I know has I, had it. You you yeah. dream that you go to the pl you're on beyond stage and you don't know your lines. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we totally. got in for for blocking the scene, and she showed us, and she you know she's got like this big black black box where half the scene is, and we're like, okay. Okay, uh, and luckily Bob was there and was actually for for the first half of the day reading opposite her, so he was off screen, gener very generously reading reading which lines off him, which he is super unusual. Yeah, he it, wasn't it's working. That four. I don't mean I don't mean unusual for our show, unusual for other shows. Yeah, and it, yeah. He, he, season yeah. four for the lead. Yeah, the, the on a day off. Yes, right, on his day off, he comes in to um, help so another he, actor. So he came in and it was which was just great. So they were running it and running it, and we blocked it. And she she was able to get completely up to speed and, and she be there great. in the moment and do do she exactly. She did a great job. Um, but it, I, I I when she said she didn't have the lens, I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure what we do from there. But I, she, I have a writing work, question. So. If I if we have time to ask it real quick, do you guys have? Um, in the room, writers that are that when like when you have a specific kind of episode coming up, do you say this will be great for this person? This type of episode will be great for this person, or no? They're no, we, uh, they started no. shaking their we heads early do, on. We in the all question. do. We all do everything. Yeah. And, okay. And so, so there's no whatever, specialty kind of whatever hap whatever the batting order. Renaissance is. people. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever the batting order is, <laughs> yeah. that's part of the fun of the show. And I know there are shows even where. Uh, you know, they say, well, this person writes this character really well, so yeah. we'll give the... And we just don't do that. I, 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 we like to think we all... But I have to ask you, Michael, yeah. a question, because you sure. just said that it's a nightmare, of course, to be suddenly the curtains open yeah. and you don't know what your line... Has it ever happened to you that they, that someone, when you've been... Cause when you've been working, mm -hmm. that the pages change radically at the last minute? What does that do? Um, it's... Um, it, well, first of all, I think I think that is really a nightmare that people have. I've had it multi many times where I've, I'm on stage, I don't know my lines, and or I, I show up on set, and so and I know a lot of factor friends of mine who've had that. But I've I've, I've been on on um, I've just shot a movie um, before we started this where the pages would change after rehearsal. And Whoa. we would go back to our trailer, and I've had the director knock up my trailer and say, "Listen, I, I had to change these these up." And and I don't think it, it. I don't think I think the way I like to see it. I, I like the model that I think I read once Scorsese and De Niro had, which they felt they improvised a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and then in rehearsal, and then when they showed up on set, they knew exactly what the scene was about. And from what I understand, there's barely improvisation anymore because they've done it. They've they've exhausted it in rehearsal. I think I think the same way. I think if you do your prep before showing up, then whatever really is thrown at you on set won't really throw you off because you're so comfortable with the uh, the work. And I think in a strange way, you, the the gift, not the gift, but the the humility is always a payoff. If you show up and you say, "I'm going to be okay to do the complete opposite of everything I thought the scene was," and that's the case we did it with the milk scene. You know, I came in thinking, like in the episode in season three, episode nine, Gordon's here, that's why I bring it up. Mm -hmm. I came in thinking this was going to be a completely different scene. I thought I was going to be able to stand, and, and the moment I got there, they said, no, no, we're just sitting down, this, this. And that was a complete curveball. You know, we had a conversation about it, but I'm happy we did it. it, it 
you it's know, a great, it's a great scene. Yeah, thank you. That's but but I think that that's the thing. Prepare and then let it go. I, you know, it's interesting. I feel that that's true in directing too. It's I I don't have actor nightmare. I've had director nightmare. What is dreams. that like? Direct. Well, it's, I've had the nightmare where uh, I'm on the set and somehow I haven't really read the script. <laughs> and, and, and I'm just kind of coming up. I'm coming up with shit on the fly. Oh, yeah. uh, and and then uh, and I remember actually once. Oh, okay, that came out okay. Oh wait, no, there's more. I don't know anything about this. No, absolutely, absolutely. Oh I have, really? Yeah, have you had that? I, I've Vince? had that. I, the dream I keep. I've had my whole life. I still have it. Uh, not every night, but is uh, going showing up at high school. Uh, <laughs> everyone's had clothes? this dream. No, not without my clothes. No, it was showing up at high school and walking into a classroom that I have skipped out on for an entire oh, yeah. year. Year. Oh, and yeah. it's it's mm. time for the final exam. Yeah. And everyone knows their shit except for me. There's what a that crazy. I've, I've had that my entire that? life. One of the yeah. funniest. What, what, one of the funniest. Like, I'm not prepared. Maybe? No, it's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I'm not up to snuff. I'm not prepared. Mm-hmm. Everyone else knows <laughs> the secret, and I don't know it. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm lacking in some in many. What? Yeah, it's, it's got to. You know, you don't have to be Freud, I guess. <laughs> There's that great that, that great scene in, in Top Secret, uh, the the Zucker Brothers movie, where uh, Val Kilmer. Uh, is uh, he's he's in high school. He's back in high school, and he comes in. And it's like, wait, it's today's finals. You don't know. You didn't. You didn't know. And he's he's panicking. And then he wakes up, and he's being tortured by Nazi Nazis. And he, says, he, says, oh, he says, "Oh, thank God." Uh, well, you know, speaking of tortured uh, by Nazis, or at least being tortured, we're, we're about to run out of time. You'll understand my segue in, in just a second, because there's a scene that brings all three of our guests together. And that's this this last scene where I know we're skipping all over and we skipped a bunch of stuff. But uh, uh, a bunch of great the, stuff. This yes, is the first music cue that we had to figure out for this, that's this right. uh, episode. And and we've got Nacho, who we've we've come to understand his place in this hierarchy and where he's going to go and then this incredible curveball gets lofted at him uh in the form of lalo salamanca mm-hmm. played by tony dalton who's yes uh, fantastic shout out to tony yeah tony's yeah. a w- wonderful actor wonderful guy tony if you're listening um I'm sending you a lot of love and he's, he'll call you back too yes yeah. <laughs> 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 um it, just i just say talk Talk about this scene. Talk about the the conception of it, bringing this guy in, this this new dangerous Power-ups. person yeah. in it, it, that that I mean, Nacho has a plan, and then all of a sudden, this guy. Comes how, in. how 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 concrete is his plan? How concrete is Nacho's plan? Is it like does he have a date and a day? And he what do you, he bought what, do you th- what do you think? I mean, my God, you're, <laughs> tell who's us. Bigger we'll expert than you. I've, I've, learned, we'll I've learned totally my lesson. I've learned tell my us lesson. so we can go the opposite <laughs> direction. I, I remember <laughs> also. I remember. By the way, this is episode four hundred eight. So I'll, I'll, who knows? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what what happened to me. I was I had I was asked a question by a journalist. Someone said, uh, "How do you think Walter White could come back to this?" And I remember, I think this was in season two, and I said, I don't know. He said, what do you think? Like, how do you think Nacho and Walter White could ever interact? And I said, I don't know. Maybe maybe Nacho went to high school and Walter White was his teacher. <laughs> but here, here's where it gets really interesting. I don't know. A couple of months later, Vince Gilligan is in an interview, and he says, Vince says, I don't know, some, some goofball or some guy said 
that Walter White was Nacho's uh, teacher. <laughs> and he goes, that's not true at all. And if, you, if, there's a, if there's one way that you're sure that this won't happen is to say it. <laughs> I don't know. It's proving categorical. I don't know if Vince knew. I don't think you knew that, I, that it was the interviewer had asked me that question. I, you're the goofball. But you're I learned, goofball. yeah, I was, the go- I was the goofball in that story. And I, I said, oh, my God. This sounds suspect because I don't call people goofballs. I just, well, it was it wasn't, call it them shitheads. Shitheads, yes, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Lieutenant. But, um, yeah, so I, I think I, I kind of am very weary or careful to say what I think because I don't want to. Um, well, Michael, well, I, the only yeah. thing I'd say is that we're doing a podcast for episode 408. Yeah. There's still a lot of story left to go this season. Okay. So, that is true. So, I, so you don't I, want to give I, anything I, away. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. But it, it really does seem like Nacho has, has a plan. I think so. I, I I'd like to think that it's. I mean, if he's got the ID cards, I don't think you get that first. You know, I think you you do your research and on where you want to go, and and why you want to go there and all that stuff. My and then big, you get the ID my cards. bigger question is uh, is is Nacho's dad on board with this? Does exactly. Nacho's dad know about yeah. this? What's their relationship also, like? Also, just because they have Canadian identity cards, does that mean they're going to Canada or are they going no. someplace else as Canadians? Oh, I mean, there's so many possibilities here. Yeah, that's true. And, and um, yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and also, what's the, rela- what's the relationship between Nacho and his father like? Yeah. Because we, we, you know, last we know, they weren't on talking terms. Nacho shows up injured. You know, in a in a state where it's you know I don't know how his dad feels about that, and then we don't know what happens from there. So yeah, there's a lot. But of we questions. do know either way that uh, whatever plans he has are somewhat troubled by this arrival at the end of the it's episode. Definitely a He's dark cloud. Over it is those not plans. a it, I, your your performance is great because it's, it's not a like. Oh, this is great! Welcome, thanks. I'm so glad for the help. It's like, oh, no, I think it's, it's, very, it's very, very delicate and restrained that yeah. before your performance. Oh, thank scene. you, but he, it's really. I think I think you excellent. feel it. I think as Nacho, I think <clears throat> the the way that played, the moment I opened the door, <clears throat> you know, it, I have to give a shout out to um, Max Ar- Arcianega, oh, who yeah. plays Domingo, Max. and yeah. the moment I the moment I see his face. It, it just feels to me that something is horribly, horribly wrong. And, you know, he just, they're both sitting there quietly, and Nacho immediately goes for his gun to tell you the, the state of mind that he's in at that moment. And then there's this gentleman who's, who, who does the most disrespectful thing that someone can do is go to someone else's Kids territory and, and cook. In his kitchen, you know, there's the, you know, get the get the fuck out of my kitchen kind of say, right? <laughs> you know, and he goes in, he puts, he cranks the music up, he's dancing and he's cooking in the kitchen, but everything he says is so nice, but everything he does is so disrespectful and such a kind of upper-handed sort of move. He doesn't call. He doesn't say, "Hey, I'm coming." He doesn't say, "Let me introduce myself," or "There's a problem. What's going on? Tell me." What it's, he just shows up. And completely takes over the kitchen, gets the two guys hostages almost, and is completely comfortable in the environment. I think Nacho immediately recognizes. But he cooks you a delicious burrito. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, yeah. It's the it's the he the, says it's delicious. Yeah, he says it's delicious, but I think it's the, might have rat poison in it. It could have had anything in it, and and it's the act. It's like you know when someone is so nice to you, but their gesture is the opposite. It is just. Him showing up without calling or introducing himself and cooking and blasting the music is the opposite of respect. But everything he says is respectful. 
And I think Nachos immediately says to himself, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. This guy's absolutely nuts. He's, he's, uh, he's, he, I can't place him and I know he's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and you get that. You get that absolutely from the scene. You guys play off awesome. each other so beautifully. Oh, thank you. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a terrific ending thank for an you. episode. Yeah, and we're going to have to wait till next week to find out, uh, how this is going to play out. Ooh. And I, I, I know I'm excited. I mean, I, not that we've already seen it and or recorded the podcast about it. But. And the next one, the next one, the next one, by the way, uh, directed by uh, Mr. Vince Gilligan. Yay, me. That Yay, is you. <laughs> that and, is and, and I want to give a shout out to Tony because I know I know how hard it is to come in and just do like one scene out of nowhere. And when Tony came in and, you know, to, to have a big scene like that, a great intro to a character, I think he did an incredible job. And I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that we have him on, on the show. I think he's such a talented guy and such a nice guy. So shout out to Tony again. again. Yeah. And it's awesome watching you guys play together because it, I mean, it's, it's such a powder keg. Yeah, that that combination. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for coming in on a Saturday morning. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. And uh, yeah, so we hope you had a good time listening. And we end every episode by having one of our guests uh, do their best Bob Odenkirk end of the commercial Better Call Saul. And uh, who's going to do it today? I, 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 I have before. lines on camera. You don't. So maybe you should do it. I, I think he's done it. Thomas has done it. He's, you've done it before? I think he's I've done, done it. it. Right. You've so done it? Just, done it. You I better think, call Saul. I think it's, you, you, know, wanna, you know, at the end of the commercial, we really sell. What's the, what's the line of the, the line that you really like from Mr. Show? What is it? The, 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 line, the better call Saul. No, the, 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 the Mr. Show show that the, um, oh, oh uh, the, there's that line that Jimmy does and uh, Keep the change. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'll do that. I'll no, do no, that. no, 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 you got to do the oh, better call Saul. Oh, right. It's, it's well, tradition. You better call Saul. Woo! Yeah. 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 Nicely done.